Beloved, if you have your Bible, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be in verses 5 through 11. There should be a Bible in your seat back in front of you. Balcony, we're going to take care of that problem real quick. We realize there's not Bibles up there, but we're going to take care of that real quick. It's so good for us to follow along in God's word as, uh, as we hear it preached and as we read it. We are going to just jump right in uh, to the text today. Uh, a few reminders for us before that we do that I do want us to, to remember. And uh, Justin was hitting on it, the songs that uh, Kurt selected hit on this. But we must remember that we are in Christ. That is the entire point of Paul's emphasis in the letter of Colossians to this very verse. Christ is all and he's in all. And he is our life, he is our salvation, he has rescued us. Our lives are hid in him. We've been buried with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. Beloved, please do not forget that today as we get into this text. Because the temptation is to think about all the things that we're doing and to forget the gospel. And we want you to remember the gospel today. Every Sunday morning, I come to these steps early, and I pray for you, and I pray that you would, uh, today's prayer was, would be, was that you uh, not fall into temptation forgetting the gospel, that you would not be overwhelmed by your sin, but that you would want to deal with your sin because of Christ and what Christ has done to deal with our sin on our behalf. So that's kind of a, kind of a framework for us today. So Christ is all in and all. This is the whole point of the series. The Christian message is not you are not holy and you must work on getting holier. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is you are holy because of Christ. So be therefore what you already are in Christ as one theologian said. And that is our responsibility today as we handle this passage. Our main point for us today from this text is simply this. Since we are with Christ, and we say that we're with Christ because of everything that we talked about last week in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we're raised with Christ, we died with Christ, our lives are hid with Christ, and one day we will appear with Christ. And because this is true, be diligent to put to death the sin that is in you. Beloved, let's be diligent to put to death the sin that is in you. Within us, and Paul's going to handle that today. And there's going to be three sub points that we're going to talk about. Paul's going to talk about what it looks like to put sin to death, and he's going to talk about sensual desires that are within us. He's also going to be talking about putting off the old self, and he's going to list kind of some social sins, a list of social sins when he does this. We're going to put off the inconsistencies uh, that are ours that are not ours because we have a new identity in Christ. And so we want to put off what is not consistent with our new identity. And then lastly, we want to be aware of pride that can easily divide us. And we're going to see this is in verses 10 and 11. When we don't put on our new self, factions can develop amongst us, and we want to be warned of those. And so as we get into the text today, look with me in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, 
which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7. In these you too once walked, Paul says, when you were living in them. I want us to notice that little therefore in verse 5. That therefore is there and it's tied directly to what we have already talked about. We are with Christ. Our life is hid with him. And because this is a reality, we are to put to death the earthly, what is earthly in us. So when we say what is earthly in us, I want to call it a name. It's called sin. This is what is called sin. And then he lists these sins like in a list right after. And, and, and what Paul is getting at is, hey, we want the dead man to be dead. If the dead man is dead, let's let the dead man remain dead. This is kind of Paul's tenor when he's talking about this. Now, we've talked about throughout the book of Colossians that we are actually saved from sin. The wages of sin is death, and Christ took our sin upon the cross. And so we're saved from death itself, from hell itself. But there's also good news is that we're actually saved from sinning. We're actually saved from having to walk in sin because now if we're rooted in Christ, receiving Christ by faith through grace, then we're able to walk with him. And so we see that this is what Paul is kind of getting at. We can put something to death because we're a new creation. So don't forget that we're a new creation. Sin so easily entangles all of us. We have to know the damage and the death of sin that is in us. I don't want us to forget, beloved, that when we sin, we're not just sinning and doing bad things. We are actually sinning against a holy God. Genesis 39, 9 tells us that all sin is against God as creator. We have broken the relationship between creator and creature. So anything that we do is against the one who made us in his image. And this is something that we must know and recognize. And sin has effects in us. Paul says in Romans 7 that sin is a law inside of our heart. It is constantly swarming us. It's always living. It's a body of death, as Paul describes in seven, Romans 7, 24. It's always close at hand. It's always breathing. Here's the crazy thing about sin. When you're sleeping, sin is not. When you're going throughout your day, sin is right there with you. It's a law. And if we were going to continue Paul's metaphor from Romans 7, law has penalties for when you don't obey it, and it has rewards for when you do. Well, the penalties of sin are always a lie, as it's enticing you and bullying you to give in to it, and the rewards are never satisfactory. Sin is all around us, and it's helpful for us to remember that and to know that to recognize that as a truth. If we don't, I think we're, we're in danger. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Paul even gets into this. He says, anytime you want to do good, sin is close at hand. Have you ever gone to pray and you're distracted? Have you ever gone to open your Bible and you start thinking about other things or you start sending off work emails? Anytime you want to do good, the law of sin, which is in our heart, is so easily close to us. We must know this before we can even know what it means to kill sin. Now, sin is something that needs to be waged war against because it's waging war against you. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us that sin is waging war on you. 
It's after you. And we must think of sin as waging war back on it. If you've ever read John Owen's little treaty on sin called The Mortification of Sin from Romans 8, he said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. And so we want to hold these things with us today. So what does it mean from the passage that we're looking at today? What does it mean to put to death sin? Well, I first want to note that we're going to save the application of that to the very end today. But let's just get theoretical for a moment and recognize that we can actually put sin to death because we are free to do so. Because we are a new creation. Look with me in verse 5. I love how the NAS actually translate this phrase. Treat the parts of your earthly body as if dead. Act as if your body is already dead. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you in the ESV. Douglas Moo, a New Testament scholar, says, put to death. That little phrase must be viewed as a call to respond and to cooperate what is already being transformed within you through the work of Christ. So cooperate with what God is already doing in you and not cooperate with what your flesh wants to do. And we're able to do this. Remember Colossians 2.13, Christ made us alive. And when he made us alive, he actually gave us a new mind and a new heart to understand new things. This isn't like a theoretical thing, like I hope I can do better in the flesh. You actually can't, but because Christ made you alive, you can actually put on a new mind and a new heart. So this is possible to do. Paul says in Romans 6, he says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He says the same language in Colossians 1 as we've already covered. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And that's where we exist today. So now, what is it that we're supposed to put to death? Let's get to the list because this is going to get a little hot in here as if it's not already. (laughs) These sins all have sensual roots in them, sexual roots in them. Look what he says, sexual immorality put to death, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, the Colossians were struggling with these things. This was very real in their culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, and brothers and sisters, is it not true for us today? Is sensuality not the culture that we live in? Is it not a hyper-sexualized culture? Is it not at every place that we turn? To gratify the desires of the flesh. Sexual immorality is the Greek word pornei, which I don't have to tell you what word comes from that. It's referring to any sexual behavior outside of the design of God's marriage. Anything that doesn't fit inside of God's design. And he's saying put it to death. Just read a stat the other day that 68% of church going men and 28% of church going women commonly look at explicit material. That's just one form of sexual immorality. That's not including adultery, that's not including chats, that's not including other forms of sexual business. And Paul is saying, put it to death. Brothers and sisters, if that's something that you struggle with today, and I have to believe in a room this size, 
there are many who are struggling with this. This is something that the Lord is able to help cut down to the very core of. I want you to know there's actually hope in the gospel today. Look at the rest of this list. Impurity, it gets its kind of roots and evil thoughts and intentions of the mind in general. Uh, Passions and lusts or passions and lusts depending on what uh, version you have. And evil desires, it's those perverted and twisted longings in your heart that God has prohibited These are all kind of linked together. He then says covetousness, which in one word is greed. That means you want more of it. You want to satisfy what what your heart wants and what you don't yet have. These are insatiable desires. Longing for things that you want more but does not rightly belong to you. This could be anything. It could be more money. It could be more things. It could be another spouse of one of your brothers or sisters, it could be anything. All of these are rooted together. And Paul is hitting at something here that's going on in the church. He's not talking about the people that don't know Christ. He's talking about people in the church. He's saying, put these things to death. And then look how he sums it up at the end of verse five. He says, at the root of these sins is idolatry. Idolatry is misordered worship lies at the very root which find themselves in gratification and self-centeredness. And this is what Paul is pointing out in the church. This is something that needs to be put away. And and why does he want it put away? Well, look, there's grave consequences in verse 6. These sins provoke God's wrath. On account of these, these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Well, what is the wrath of God? Well, it's God's intense hatred of evil and the judgment that results from that hatred. These are things that God is going to punish. And a good, in fact, the perfect picture of God's hatred for sin is pictured at the cross. When Christ poured, or when God the Father poured out his wrath on Christ on the cross. We see what he thinks about sin like this. And so those of us who are in Christ by faith... Christ has absorbed the wrath of God for us on the cross, and that's where we have the forgiveness of sins. But for those who are not in Christ, who have not trusted in the Savior, who have not put their faith in the Lamb of God, the wrath of God is coming for you. And so you must know and be warned that this is a reality. Now, to the Christian, I must remind you that we don't walk in these things anymore. It doesn't mean we don't struggle with these things, but if Christ is in us and a new mind has been given to us and we set our minds, as we talked about last last week, on the things of Christ, then we have new desires. We have new affections. These things, though they may tempt us and we can still give in to them, they do not define what we walk in. And for the Christian, I want you to remember that you are spared from the wrath of God, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. If you have, by grace, through faith, received Christ Jesus, the Lord. This is your reality. Now, if you go into your garage and you see a copperhead there under the workbench, it is not a good thing to pick up the copperhead and to relocate it to your front flower beds. 
or to your neighbor's yard. It's just not. That's not very loving at all. The canope, the copperhead, is a dangerous, venomous creature who once, if approached closely, will attack you. So what do you do? You cut the head of the snake off. That's what Jesus did. He stepped on the head of the snake in Romans. That's what you do. You don't play with fire. You don't play with it. I got these, you know, it's so hot in Irving, and I don't know how anything is growing right now, but every time I come home and I get to my hedges, I see these vines growing up, like every day, and I don't know how it happens because there's only rain, it's rained like 11 drops since like July or June, but every day it's like growing up, and so every day I, I pull it, I'm yanking it because I don't want to deal with looking at it, and I want people to think I'm trimming my hedges, and it looks nice, right? I recognize that if I really want to get rid of that, I got to go all the way down underneath the plant, and I got to pull it up by the roots. And you know, I've made excuses why I haven't done that, because it's been 111 degrees. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, I think we make excuses all the time as to why we're not dealing with the sin that's in our life. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, lust, they are encompassing us and we must put them to death as Paul says brothers and sisters do you think about sin this way do you think about sin in this way you want to hate it you want to get rid of it you actually want to deal with it not not in dealing with it do you become saved but you're able to deal with it because you are saved and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So this is where we live as the Christian. This is the Christian life. We have to recognize that everybody in this room is not yet what they one day will be. And on some level, this is true of us. It's true of your pastor. I have to be very mindful of these things in my own life. If not, I will be bit by the snake. And so will you. Now look with me in verse 8. Paul puts another list together. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to anyone, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. And this is where we get our second point. Be intentional to put off your old self. Paul provides a list of sins that that bring disunity to the body if participated in. These are social sins when there's malice, when there's lying, when there's slander. These things bring corruption. So if he dealt first with sensual sins, now he's dealing with social sins in this list. Look at that list with me. Anger and wrath, those are cousins. They refer to outbursts of temper that are destructive. These show up when provoked easily. Uh, they Build distrust because people are kind of tolerable or intolerable and they respond quickly to things that they don't agree with. We see malice. It refers to the deliberate intention to harm someone, the plotting to do evil. And, and brothers and sisters, this actually gets real sick real quick. It's not just assault and murder, the intention to do bad. It's actually thoughts that you also have towards other people. And you're like, well, I don't have any of those thoughts against other people? I bet you do. Is there any politician that you've disagreed with 
that you're glad that they got what was coming to them. There's a way to recognize God's justice in the situation. But malice is being very grateful that harm has come to them or judgment has come to them. Brothers and sisters, we have to check these things in our hearts. Look at this list as it continues. He goes on to talk about slander and speech that defames and degrades another person's character. The book of Titus says in 3.2 that we are to slander no one because everyone is made in the image of God. So it can be overt slandering or it could be just a simple little drop of information in the hallway or a whisper. Something that brings a brother down and elevates you. Anything. Think about that. Think about that in your own life. Take that in and think about all the ways... What is the motivation on why I say what I do in order to bring about new information to other people? That can, be, that can be slander. It says obscene talk from your mouth. Words that are considered out of bounds from what is appropriate. Anything that would not be considered pure or right or inside of the design of God would be obscene talk. This can be lewd, lewd words. This could be stories. This could be anything that is obscene. And then he finishes up the list with do not lie to one another. Speak the truth in love uh, to one another, he says elsewhere. This might cost us something, by the way. But we must do this. So often we shade the truth. Now, if I were to tell you that I was a U.S. Marine, that would be a lie. But the lies that I want us to really, really guard ourselves on are the little lies that have just a hint of deceit in them or just an adage of a few words that bolster up our appearance or make someone else look bad or anything that is untrue perfectly. This is what Paul is saying, put off. He's saying put certain sins of death, and he's saying put off these practices inside the church. Now, brothers and sisters, if we were gonna be honest, and I, I hope we're gonna be honest with our own hearts, with our own selves, this happens right here within the body of Christ. Factions at times have developed because of certain things that we've said or done or said about other people or just assumed or even wrongly assigned. And these things are to be put off because we're new creations in Christ and we speak the truth in love. Now, I do want us to notice verse nine, okay? Verse nine B, the second part of it. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So Paul is reminding them that they are new in Christ and they have put off these practices. But then the natural question from the text is this, why is he reminding them again? So church, even if we have put off the old self and put on the new self, we are to be reminded of this, that we are continued, we are to continue to put off the old self throughout the Christian life. Just as Paul is reminding the Colossians. So I grew up uh, playing baseball and back in 97, 98, and 99, that gives my age, I played baseball tournaments in Burke Burnett, Texas. Who's ever been to Burke Burnett, Texas? It's the hottest place, I see a hand. It's the hottest place in the world. It's uh, outside of this room. And 
it, it, is, it is so hot. It's like West Texas is like west of Wichita Falls. And when you're out on that baseball field, we play like two, three, four games a day. And the sweat, the dirt, the wind, and the sun all created a film on our bodies by the end of the day. It was like a cake with the sweat and the dirt and the wind just made like this mud cake all over your body. Your hair became a different texture. Your clothes were soggy from top to bottom. Like it, it was awful. You might not play baseball, but you've been in the garden recently or you've been in, uh, you know, like a church with no AC. You know what it is to have uh, a really dirty set of clothes on, right? But I remember going to my hotel room after, taking a really clean, uh, good rinse shower that got me head to toe clean. And I put on new garments. I put on a new shirt, I put on new shorts, and I put on flip-flops. And I just remember thinking, this is the life. Just got done playing the best game in the world, and now I am clean. It's possible for me to go to the corner of my room where all those clothes are piled together, soggy and caked with mud. Um, I can unfold them and I can put them back on my body, but it doesn't make any sense because I'm already clean. And so what what does a clean person do? They put on the new. And that's that's exactly what Paul is talking about here even when we get to verse 10. He says, have put on the new self. And this is something that they've already done. And look what he says in that second part, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Beloved, this is where we get our third point today. Beware of the pride that divides us all. Now, when we put on the new self, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. But when we fail to put on the old self, you see those divisions coming up again. And this is pride within us because we're holding on to what our old identity used to be in the old self. We're going to talk more about the new self next week and putting that on. That's kind of, this is the vices list and next week is the virtues list. So we're going to get to that. And what I mean by that, when we take off the old self and put on the new self, that's, we're going to take off greed, but we're going to put on generosity or charity. We're going to take off pride and we're going to put on humility. We're We're going to talk more about putting on humility next week, but I want us to see in this section, verses 10 and 11, that that Paul goes back to the work that Christ has already done. Hey, you have put on the new self, and you are being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. This is what is going on. Christ has saved you, and he's making you new. This This is good news. As we read at the very beginning of our service, 2 Peter uh, verse 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3. It is Christ's divine power that is granted to us all things that pertain to our life and to our godliness. Christ provides all of it through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises 
so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. This is the plan. You're a shell of yourself in sin. You're saved in Christ, and he's making you into this new image. We see it, right? We're not as angry as we used to be. We don't have as much malice in our heart as we once did. Perhaps we're fighting our sensual desires more faithfully than we ever had. We praise God for these things. This is credited to Christ. Sin has destroyed us, and Christ is in the process of renewing us. So we are being renewed in the image of man. The whole image of man is being renewed in the image of God, as one confession says. Now look with me in verse 11. It says here, there is no, not Greek or Jew. You see that in the text right there in verse 11? That here is in Christ. Those who have put on Christ, those who are hid in Christ. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and he's in all. Y'all, this is just incredible. I don't know if you recognize initially what it, in fact he is saying. That the nomadic warriors, the Scythians, could now sit at a table with barbarians and Jews and Greeks. And they were no longer identified as the things they previously were, but they have a new identity in Christ. They sit at the table. I'm not talking about Rivalry like OU Texas or um, like Yankees Red Sox. I'm talking these people hated each other and then they began to sit at tables together because they were both in Christ. Right? It, it, I, I watch, uh, when we lived in North Carolina, I used to watch the OU Texas game with my good friend Daniel Savage. Some of you guys know him. We never stopped, I never stopped being a Sooner and he never stopped being a Longhorn. Right? But we would agree, like, you cheer for the wrong school, and I cheer for the right school, and we're at the table together, and we love each other. No, it's like if we were no longer what we were or what we cheered for, and we had a new identity in Christ. And this is what happens when we put on the new self. This is who we actually are, together in the body. But when we don't, what happens is, is these things rise up. And brother and sister, we are to... Forsake the things that we hold tightly to and we are to hold tightly to Christ. I think my question for you today is what are you forsaking or what are you not forsaking? That's how I'm gonna answer it. What are you not forsaking? What are you choosing instead of choosing to put off the old self, to put on the new self and to be united in Christ because Christ is all and in all? What is it? I hope maybe you can write those down. Maybe you can walk through that list with people that you are in D group with or in your Bible fellowship class with. We come together in these Bible fellowship classes, in these D groups, to actually work these things out amongst us. To talk about these things, to bear these things together. If Paul is telling us to kill sin, if Paul is telling us to put off the old self, we don't just come together lightly, we come together faithfully recognizing that the Christ that dwells in each of us is able to put these things to death. So let's get practical. What is it, all of these things, killing sin, putting off sin, being aware of pride that divides us, all of these things have, have to deal with putting sin to death. So how do we put sin to death? That's probably the question that you're all talking about. That's great, Blair, I agree with you, but how do we do it, right? Is that the question that you're all asking? 
I know you are. Let's get to the root of this. Just a few things, and this isn't a comprehensive list, but hopefully this is a list that is helpful to you. The first thing that we want to do is we want to remember the gospel. We want to, in fact, I'm going to add a word in there. We want to rightly remember the gospel. What do you mean by rightly remembering the gospel? We've got to rightly remember who Christ is and all that Christ has done. That's why we keep hitting this week in and week out. I hope, I hope that you know that we're being redundant intentionally because Christ is. He's constantly reminding us of how bad we need him and that he is all and that he is on. We have hope. We need to be reminded that God loves us and in the moment of our sin, when we trickle into sin, he doesn't think any differently about us because we're in Christ. Do you, do you hear me? He does not think differently about you in your sin because your life is hid with Christ in God. Rest in that. We need to have a proper view of sin and a proper view of sin is recognizing its totality and recognizing that it never sleeps. And so we do need to wage war on sin but we can because we're in Christ and that requires a proper view of the self. It is hot. Be faithful to fill your mind with thoughts of Christ and his death. Remembering the gospel rightly is remembering what Christ did upon that cross. Zechariah 12.10 talks about how when we think about the Savior being wounded for us, we mourn. We are to mourn these things. The second thing, and this is a huge thing, and it could have been the first thing because it helps us understand the gospel, but set your mind on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Look at that. Set your mind on the, on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we set our mind on the sword. So the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So if we're going to combat and fight sin, we want to pick up a sword, right? We want to pick up an offensive weapon that would help us fight our sin. Well, God has given us his word. And how do you use his word to fight sin? You set your mind on his word. You remember in the midst of your temptation that there's other things that are lovely and pure and better. There are things that are heavenly. There are things that do satisfy because this sin will not satisfy us. We memorize the word. We eat the word. We eat the word and we love the word as prophet Jeremiah said. Friends, this is a companion. This isn't just something that you go to every once in a while and you just read it because you're supposed to. You pick this up and you read the word of God because this is the sword that fights back your sin. You memorize it, you know it, you remember the truths that have been given to you. This is what we are to do. The scripture fills our mind with what is true about God. Number three, pray for God's spirit to help. How do you fight sin? How do you put sin to death? Pray for God's spirit to help. It says in Romans 8 that the spirit gives life to your mortal body. It gives you new things to think on. The spirit allows you to see heavenly things and to put away earthly things. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, when you ask for the spirit to be given to you, it will be given to you. How often do you, church family, pray that the spirit of God would help you fight your sin? Do you hate your sin enough to even ask for help? 
Number four, well, I'm a great little Piper quote right here, if I could say so. He says, you don't know what prayer is, uh, what prayer is for until you know that life is war. And he's talking about this in the context of needing the spirit to fight these things. Uh, number four, it's important for you to join a church. To be, if you're not a part of a church, I, we, we hope that you would become a part of a church. We'd love to have you here, but any church, you cannot fight sin by yourself. You cannot put these things to death without brothers and sisters coming alongside of you. I mean, Ephesians 4 talks about how we are to grow up in maturity in the whole body, which is linked together, bone and marrow. This is, this is something that we do together. In fact, there's warning in Hebrews 10 for those who do not, who make a habit of not meeting together, as some have. We're to come together. Galatians 6.2 says, you know, fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. What is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. We come together. We pray for one another. We learn how to confess sin to one another. That's actually what it says in James chapter 5, that we confess our sins one to another. We, we know we confess our sins to God first. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we also have an open life where we let people carry our crosses for us and with us. Number six, we praise God. Another way to fight sin is we praise God. Have you ever thought how singing actually gives no room for the, for the enemy to breathe, no room for sin to breathe? We sing and our minds are set on the things of God and we're not thinking about sin. Maybe the next time you're in a position where you are being tempted, sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, creatures here below. This is what we do. We're the creatures below and we praise him. Be mindful of what you say, number seven. All these social sins that we talked about, be mindful of what you say. Here's just a few questions to ask yourself. Is it true? Is it edifying? Is what I'm saying necessary? Is it pure? Is it compatible, or excuse me, compatible with God's design? Ephesians 4 talks about a lot of what we say. So does James chapter 3. The tongue can be really dangerous. And this all points back to Matthew chapter 12. The evil desires of the heart are revealed in what we say. Let's put off the old and put on the new because we can. We've been washed. There's two very quick warnings in the last 44 seconds that I have for you. But this might be the most important thing that I say. Okay? After you sin, do you have peace? And then the question is, what brings you peace? Some of us, when we are living in sin, we immediately, and this is what I, what I mean by this. Some of us, when we are in sin or what we've living in sin or we've just sinned, we go to the gospel and we remember that Christ died for us and we remember that Christ is all and we remember that all is gonna be okay. But I would actually warn against some of that 
and here's what I mean before you stone me. If there is not a hatred for your sin, then the spirit has not waged war against your flesh like it talks about in Galatians 5. We know if it's from our flesh or from the spirit, whether or not how we're viewing our sin. We might be aware of our sin, but how are we viewing our sin? Is it in, are we increasing in our hatred for it? And loving Christ, have you noticed the more you love Christ and see his beauty, his glory, the promises that he's given you, we can receive. When you know Christ, you start hating the things that he hates because the spirit of God dwells in you. But if it's just lack, it's kind of lackadaisical. It's like, hey, I've sinned, but Christ is, if sin's not a big deal, I'm, I'm telling you, Christ isn't a big deal. Christ is not a big deal. And then lastly, um, let's be aware that we can change our behaviors, self-deception, but it's not really combating sin. You might have found your identity in being an actress in high school, but you're not acting in college, you're now an academic, and you've just rearranged the furniture in the room and you've never really dealt with the root. You never chopped the self-deception at the core. But we can do this in Christ. We have his word, we have his spirit, we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We have hope today, church family. If you are a Christian, we recognize that a sermon like this is not always fun to preach and it's not fun to hear, but it's so necessary. We are to combat the sin that is in our life. Brothers and sisters, I don't know all the sin that's going on in this room right now, but I know that it's there and I am praying for you this morning and praying for you even now as I preach that the spirit would reveal the sin in your heart and bring it to light so that you know where to cut it. Bring it before a brother and a sister. Bring it before the Lord himself and ask God for forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but turning, putting off the old self and putting on the new as we're gonna talk about next week. If you're not a Christian today, this might sound, I I don't know how this would sound. This might sound like another language. But I do want you to know that you can probably relate in some areas recognizing, yeah, I do things that are probably not good. Well, the Bible defines that as sin. And those things have been paid for through a man who is fully God and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved And that he will give you a new mind and a new heart to deal with the things that we're talking about today. That might seem really bizarre and far off, but if there is anything in your heart that wants to know more about that, I plead with you to come and talk to me right right here or a pastor right here. And Christian, rest in the work of Christ today. Let's do battle against our sin, the sensual desires, the slanderous desires that come out of our mouth. Let's put these things to death for the glory of God. And we can do it because God is able. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that it reminds us that, Father, even though our lives are hidden in Christ, there's still things that are gnarly living in us
God, because you have made us alive together with you, we want affections for the things that you have affection for. And we want to put to death the things that you've already put to death in us, Father. And we want to be what we already are in Christ. And there's no shame in that. And it's a process that every person has to walk through as they're being sanctified and made mature in the image of Christ. God, I plead with you that you would help us do that for the glory of your name, for the edification of this body. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our King.